just want to uh, begin with a couple of, of comments. You know, we're, uh, as preachers, always called to proclaim good news. You know that. That's what gospel means. You know one really good thing I want to tell you? Is that tomorrow the high is zero degrees. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> I'm tired of this minus 14 stuff and whatever it might be. <clears throat> I want to make one other comment. And we don't often mention people, because there's so many uh, but who, who weren't well. But last Sunday, Colin Harbinson spoke uh, here. And uh, if you were here, I think you would agree he did a fantastic job. Um, I don't know whether everyone knows, but he uh, literally went home and had a heart attack and uh, was rushed to St. Mary's. He had a stent put in. He's still there. Um, and he just needs our prayer, and that family needs our prayer. Uh, I just heard today from family that he's out of intensive care, and that's good. It's a step forward. But uh, um, even while he was preaching, he said he had chest pain. But, uh, you know, he, he served God and uh, did what God had called him to do, and that's an amazing thing. So pray for Colin and Maureen and, uh, and their family. I want to ask you this morning, <clears throat> what if in your mind are the essentials for life in Christ? Um, what I mean by that is when you're in the family of God, when you've come to that place, as we've sung about, of really embracing Jesus by faith. Jesus, uh, Aaron talked about giving it all to him, laying down your life for the cause of Christ uh, and being in relationship with him. What are the, what are the non-negotiables in your life in terms of activity, in terms of what you do? Let me just suggest a few. I would suggest that prayer would be one of those things, for example. You can hardly have a relationship with God if you never talk to him, right? And indeed hear him talk in response to you by his spirit. I would suggest worship is a non-negotiable. That's, I think, a bit of a different thought in our culture today, just the, 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 the uh, reality of our age. But I think biblically it's very, very true. That we need to come into the presence of God, and as we have done in song, we need to lift him up and recognize him as God. Because you know what happens when we don't do that? You know who sits on the throne? We do, very easily. We can get ourselves to that place. I would suggest to you serving uh, uh, out of love <clears throat> is one of those non-negotiables. We, we claim to be followers of Jesus, and when you think about it, Jesus spent his life serving people out of love. And how can we call ourselves followers of Jesus if we don't do that? It just seems to me it's a non-negotiable. It's who we are. It's what we're called to. Well, I want to suggest today and over the next few weeks that, that a critical non-negotiable is our reading the Bible, our spending time in the Word of God, our learning at a deeper level what it means so that it might change and transform our lives and through us so that this world might be transformed. It's critical. As a result, the first sentence in our vision statement uh, has in part this, this mansion. So let's look at it now. We see a thriving church where people are being formed into spiritually mature followers of Jesus. Hope that's you. That's our goal. That's our desire. By the transforming power of God's work, word, the healing work of the Holy Spirit, living passionately to see God's kingdom come in every area of life. See, what we, what we suggest, there are many things suggested in that sentence, but God's word has transforming power. It can change us. And that's God's intention, that we go to this book day after day, week after week, Sunday after Sunday, that we hear God speak to us through it, that we be transformed, that we be changed to become more like Christ. 
um, to become spiritually mature, to become people who are pas living passionately to see God's kingdom come in every area of life. So for a few weeks, what I want to do is to take you to a passage in Scripture, 2 Kings chapter 22 and chapter 23, because there's so much incredible teaching there about what it means to know and love and serve the Lord Jesus, and particularly that what that means in terms of engaging Scripture. I want to start by asking everyone here, um, just to contemplate, consider for a little while what place the Bible has in your life right now. Do you give it place? Do you give it time? <clears throat> Do you give it attention? Do you read it? What place does it have in your life? Now, the context of the t uh, passage that we're going to read in a minute is, 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 is in the book of 2 Kings. The books of 1 Kings and 2 Kings basically describe the reigns of the kings of Israel following King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. Um, in time, of course, Israel is divided into the northern and southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. And this is part of the story of Judah. When a king named Josiah comes to power, he's only eight years of age. And he's young, but in time he grows up and he begins to make a difference in his part of the world. Prior to King Josiah's reign is the reign of King Manasseh. Now, if you look at all the kings that are in these books and the reigns that are described, there are a few kings that are really good, godly people. Most of them are not. <laughs> Most of them don't honor God. Most of them don't follow God and, and do the will of God. Manasseh is one of those people. He's a bad dude. Um, and following his reign, there's a short reign of his son, and after two years, uh, he's assassinated. But Manasseh reigned for over 50 years in Judah. He had a big impact in that country and for the negative. And, and, and the part of, of this story where, where Josiah comes to power, um, what, what's going on is that um, the king orders, Josiah orders, who, by the way, is a godly man, as we'll read. He orders the restoration of the temple. It's been allowed to fall into disarray. And he says to his people, go make it right so that we can honor God and worship God in it. During that restoration, the book of the law is found, um, almost accidentally, but we know it was the sovereign will of God that that be found. Um, probably the, the, the book of the law refers to Deuteronomy, might refer to a portion of Deuteronomy. We're not exactly sure. Um, but what happens is that the servants of the king bring this portion of scripture and they read it to the king. Um, and what the king hears is something that's sort of thematic in Deuteronomy, and that is that there is incredible blessing, promises of blessing for God's people if they are faithful to him. But at that same time, and I'm using the word from our text today, there are curses if they're not faithful to him. And that's laid out in this text in a way uh, that uh, sets the scene for us today. I'm going to read from just, uh, 2 Kings 22, verse 1 to verse 20. And we'll have that projected. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Bozkath. He uh, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the temple of the Lord. He said, go up to 
Hilkiah, the high priest, and give, have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. They gave offerings way back then. Have them entrust it to the man appointed to supervise the work on the temple, and have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. Also have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple, but they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are honest in their dealings. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan who read it. Then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and reported to him, your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah, the priest, Enakim, son of Shaphan, Akbor, son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's attendant, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Hilkiah the priest, Achim, Akbor, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to speak to the prophet Huldah, who was the wife of Sholem, son of Tikva, the son of Haras, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. She said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, tell the man who sent you to me. This is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people according to everything written in the book of book the king of Judah has read. <clears throat> because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made. My anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Hmm. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place. So they took her answer back to the king. My friends, do you hear what happens when God's people lose connection with the word of God as they did during the reign of Manasseh? They, were incre they became incredibly unfaithful to God. Especially as it related to idolatry. We're going to read in chapter 23 as we go through this, this text and this series that idolatry was everywhere in Judah at that time. There were idols to other gods, the gods from surrounding nations, which God had said to his people, when you go into the land, don't worship those gods. Worship me only. But there were idols in the temple of God, and people went before them, and they worshiped those idols rather than the living God. What do you think God thought of that? It says that there were idols and there was idol worship uh, on the high places in Israel. There aren't a lot of huge mountains in Israel, but there are high peaks 
And those gods were worshipped there. It says uh, that there was idol worship in homes on the rooftops. There was idol worship where male prostitution was involved. Why do you think God thought of that one? There was idol worship where children were killed. They were sacrificed to the gods, small g, as an act of worship. And I want to tell you, my friends, to God, this was, this was tragic. This was horrific. This was awful. Um, his people, so the prophet said, had forsaken him. Other translations say that his people had abandoned God. They had turned away from him, and it says that as a result, God's anger burned against his people to the point where he had decided to allow a foreign army to come and gain victory over his people so that they would be exiled to a foreign land to serve as servants and slaves in that place. <clears throat> Ultimately, it happened. It's always the intention of God, by the way, when such judgment comes, it's always the intention of God that it would bring people back to the place he wanted them to be, that it would ultimately restore his relationship with him. But what is described would include suffering and pain. And the question I want us to focus on today, before we get to so much else that we can learn about the word of God, is why? Why did these people get to this place? And I would suggest to you, it is clearly taught that they were at this place because they did not know the word of God. It had been lost to them. They did not know that God condemned idol worship. They did not know that there was blessing for faithfulness. They did not know that there were, were curses for unfaithfulness. They didn't even know what faithfulness was. Uh, there's... It's not that they didn't have religion. I want you to hear this. There was a temple, and there was a high priest, and there was religious activity going on. And it's not that their king wasn't a sincere man before God. He was sincere of heart. He tried to honor God in what he was doing. But they just didn't know what it meant to be the people of God because they didn't know the word of God. And I hope if you, if you are part of the people of God, you just took note of what I said. <clears throat> they just didn't know what it meant to be the people of God because they did not know the word of God. And I want to suggest this morning, before we get to all the good stuff <laughs> in the series to come, that like the people of Judah, all those who follow the Lord and, and want to honor him, and now we who follow Christ and live for him, we are in a spiritually dangerous place when we lose connection with God's word. And I want to tell you why. Number one, without a knowledge of the scripture and a knowledge of God which comes to us in the scripture, <clears throat> it's literally possible to be sinning before God as were the Israelites, but to be totally unaware of it. Think about that. See, King Josiah was shocked when he discovered how wrong idolatry was. He was shocked when he discovered the consequences that the people of, of Judah were facing because of what they had done. You see, these people and even their king just had no clue that what they were doing was wrong until they encountered God's word and it was there that they came to understand that all those years they had been doing something so contrary to God and God's will that they didn't know. I want to suggest to you, that's, 
for a follower of Christ, that's a scary possibility. I'll say that for my life. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be sincere before God. I don't want to be involved in religious activity before God, but in completely ignorant of the wrong that's happening in my life. Potential judgment that God will bring into my life as a result. And I don't want that for you. And I don't want that for our church as we are a component of the people of God. So spiritually dangerous, you literally can be there. It blows me away. We just don't know sometimes when we've lost connection with the word. Second thing, it's very possible, as in this instance, where we too will fall into idolatry because we don't know the word of God. You see, where a knowledge of God has been lost, think of that word, human beings will look for something else to take God's place. You believe that? Think of our culture now. I would suggest to you, for the most part, a knowledge of God is gone because a knowledge of the word of God is gone. And there is much idolatry in the land, some of which I'll describe to you in a minute. But when, when that is lost, human beings look for this something that they believe will somehow meet their needs and bless their lives. The Israelite people in this situation, they made idols of wood and stone, the idol of Baal and the idol of Asherah, believing that these objects, inanimate objects, wood and stone, would bless their lives, that, that these objects were gods that had the power to help them. They believed that when you sacrificed and you worshipped well, those gods would send rain so their crops would grow. They believed that if you worshipped and sacrificed well, those gods would provide an abundant harvest. They believed with all of their hearts that those gods would give them children so that their line would carry on. They believed that those gods would protect them in times of difficulty and empower them in battle. They believed these things. So as the text says in chapter 23, they turned away from God and they worshipped their idols. You know, the reality is that the same thing can happen in our lives. Without a knowledge of God, which comes to us in Scripture, we will think our own thoughts about so many and various issues that are going on in our world. I want to read to you Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. A prophet speaking uh, for God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Like this is something for us to really grapple with. Those of us who want to be faithful to God, those of us who want to live in obedience to him, those of us who want to find the blessing that flows to us from God when we're living faithfully before him. We have to recognize that we don't think like God. Although sometimes... We do think that. God's thoughts are different. And when we embrace our thoughts, I want to suggest to you it leads us into idolatry. I've told you before some of these things that I think are the major idols of our, our day. But think about sexuality. There are many human thoughts about sexuality that are being popularized. Uh, human beings thinking that sexuality is okay in various expressions but so often those things are outside God's design and plan 
for sexuality, which is that sexuality would be expressed within a, a, a marriage relationship, a covenant relationship which is formed between a man and a woman. That's God's thought. That's what the Word of God says. But so many people, no, 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 no. We don't believe that anymore. And they turn away from God, and they turn to, to, to something else, and I want to tell you, sexuality can become a god in our lives. We can worship it. I think we do in our culture. We come to that place where we think that somehow sexual engagement of whatever sort would lead us to this place of meaning, and it becomes an idol, and we live unfaithfully before our God, potentially. Think about the idea of accumulating things as the goal of our lives because we believe that having stuff gives us significance and security. Oh, people will think highly of me because of the car I drive or where I live or the clothes I wear. And I'm secure because I have a ton of money in the bank. The Bible, by the way, says both of those beliefs are nonsense. <laughs> but when we really embrace this thought, we allow material things to become our God, become the thing for which we live, the pursuit of our hearts, the desire of our hearts, the thing we worship, if you would. And we make possessions into an idol, and we worship it. Sometimes it's a relationship. You know, if I just had that relationship, that relationship would complete my life. That relationship which I lack for which I long, would make life good. It would bring me joy. And I want to tell you, my friends, it's possible to idolize a relationship or someone in a relationship. And it's possible to turn away from God and look to that person to meet your needs. And when we do, we engage idolatry. You know, we can talk about substances. That's probably the most simple thing to think about in terms of addiction and I'm not saying that there's no one here who struggles with drugs or with alcohol because it's, it's a common thing and a, a deep, deep, difficult struggle but probably more important as I've said to you um, the reality of addiction to food is more common in, among the people of God. You know, when we get down and when we are unhappy and we're depressed and we struggle where do we go? We go to food because that's somehow going to make us feel better. That's the solution to my problem. And as someone once said, we eat our emotions. <laughs> but when we look to something other than God, when we go to food, literally instead of going into the presence of Jesus, we turn away from God. And we worship something which we think has the power to make a difference in me. You see, the truth is, and I want, I want you to hear this, and I want you to know this. Like in Josiah's day, poles made of wood or of stone, poles, <laughs> they did not have the power to do anything as the people believed they did. The truth is that only God can give us meaning and only God can give us significance and security and only God can bring goodness and, and joy into our lives and only God, by the work of his spirit, can heal broken hearts and transform and change us and heal us. You see, it's only the Lord who has the power to meet our needs and to bless our lives. And when we look to anything other than him to do so, 
we're engaging potentially idol worship. What else causes this spiritual danger to, to, to display itself in our lives? Well, on the one hand, you know, we can be sinning and not know it. On the other hand, we can engage idolatry when we don't know the word of God. Number three, without a knowledge of Scripture and without a knowledge of God, which is found in Scripture. Like Isaiah, Josiah, I want to tell you, we will not have opportunity to repent of our sin. Josiah didn't repent of what was wrong in his kingdom until Scripture was read to him, and he knew that what was going on in his kingdom was wrong. It was then that he tore his clothes as, as an act of repentance. It was then that he wept before God about what was going on in his land. And it was his repentance, which, as you see at the end of that text, led ultimately to God blessing his life and his reign and postponing judgment for a time. We need to know what we need to repent of so that we can do that and find God's blessing. And lastly, without our knowledge of the Bible, we will have no idea of judgment to come. That's been, I've been quite struck in the last while, and this is reference even to my own teaching and preaching, how little judgment is talked about in the Christian world. <laughs> but it's written through the pages of the Bible, here included. You know, our, in our world, we, um, the knowledge of God essentially, as I have suggested, is gone from the majority of people. So in the lives of many people, they are completely unaware how they desperately need to find faith in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sin that can be found in him. People desperately need that reality so that they can avoid what the Bible calls hell someday and enter into heaven so that they can live in relationship with God and fellowship with God now as opposed to being alienated from him. Maybe we in the church, we're kind of in a similar place, even those who, of us who have found faith and who have found the forgiveness of God. For you see, if God sees sin in us, even in our ignorance, you know what the Bible says? It says that he will, out of love, discipline us. Read it in Hebrews. It talks about a father who loves his son or daughter. Because of his love, he will discipline that child. And in the same way, the Bible says, because God loves us, he's not going to leave us in our ignorance. He's not going to leave us in our sin. He's going to discipline us to bring us to that place where we are again in right relationship with him. My friends, we need to know of this reality. You see... The idea of that sort of discipline in our lives, just as was the case with the, the people of Judah in the coming conquest, they would suffer. It would hurt. And discipline hurts. I've lived it, and you probably have too, whether you recognize it or not. It's a ministry of God. It's a blessing in our lives when God moves us from where we are to where we need to be. But you know what? I don't want it. And if I can avoid it, I'm going to avoid it by trying to be faithful to my God, by discovering in the scripture what it is that God desires of me and giving myself to living in that fashion and worshiping him and him alone, raising him up and saying, you are my God, you I will obey, you I will be faithful to, nothing else. 
You see, in that context, what we have is not the discipline of God. We, we experience the blessing, the incredible blessing of God. So in the end of the day, my friends, what I want to suggest is that the primary question we've got to grapple with as a church, as individual people, is have we lost a knowledge of Scripture? As the Israelites had lost it. They become disconnected from a knowledge of God because they didn't have the Scripture to tell them about God. Only you can answer that for your own life. How well do you know the Bible? I mean, really. It's a life-giving book. It's the means whereby God speaks into our lives and transforms our minds, which in time produces a transformation in our lives. And I'm here to ask you in this series, maybe most particularly today, do you know it really well or just a little bit? Or maybe not at all. See, the, uh, the academics who have studied this say that the stats in North America generally is that we have lost the knowledge of Scripture and thus the knowledge of God. I, I quoted some of this in our vision series in September, October, but let me remind you of some of these stats. It says that in the United States, where these stats come from for the most part, but I think there's great similarity here, people under 35 don't read the Bible, generally speaking. And they don't think it's a good idea to do so because they think that the Bible is anti-woman and it's anti-gay. They literally think that the Bible is, has been a means of oppression of people and it will continue to be that. So set it aside and leave it alone. The studies say that by 2040, 2040, two-thirds of Americans... Uh, will have no meaningful engagement with the Bible. None. I got to tell you, I think in Canada, we're not far from that now. We live in a much more secular society. And what about the church? What, is, what we're being told is that the church generally is biblically illiterate. I'm not insulting anybody. I'm just telling you what they say. <laughs> you figure out whether this is you. Um... Most Christians, we are told, know about 20 verses well. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 8.28, 20, All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And apparently most Christians can give you about 20 of those texts. But that's all. And their knowledge of Scripture is Fragmented. Little bits. I know this bit, and I know this bit, and I know this bit, but they don't know the God story that we talk about now as part of our vision. They don't know the, the overarching story of what God has done since Adam and Eve, and he will continue to do until the day of Revelation, beginning of the Bible to the end, when he comes again in power to make this world what he created it to be. That knowledge is not there. Uh, in, in the United States, and again do your 10% thing, because we probably generally fit into this. But we're losing, in the United States, they are losing 700 daily Bible readers per day. Older people who love the Bible, who live in the text, who encounter God through reading Scripture, um, they're passing away. You know those older people, and I, you probably know them, I do, but who take the text and they mark it up, they circle and they underline. I even got a picture to show us of somebody in our church who loves Scripture so much that their Bible looks like that. And I, I'm pretty sure every page in that Bible looks like that. 
because these people encounter God in the book and they love the book and they live in the book and they study the book and they know the book and as a result, they know God. And they, they avoid idolatry as a result and they move toward a life of obedience where blessing flows. You see, being in the book like that leads you to faithfulness. It leads you to understand the thoughts of God versus our own thoughts. It leads you to obedience and faithfulness. My friends, at IPC, we want to tackle this reality. If indeed biblical literacy is present among us in any of our lives. You know, some of these same, same studies said 79% of Christians who were surveyed said the most meaningful thing their church could do is help them have a deeper understanding of the Bible. And when the same people were surveyed, 19% of those people said their churches actually did that. Is it any wonder there's biblical literacy in our world? The church isn't teaching Scripture the way that it once did. So we have a plan. And over the next little while, we're going to roll out some of our vision to you in terms of concrete ideas and, and suggestions. But we want to make it possible for you to get into Scripture and to know the Bible and allow it to transform your lives so that you become spiritually mature followers of Jesus who are living passionately, as our vision says, to bring the kingdom of God in every area of life. Those two things will not happen if you don't know Scripture and if you're not deeply impacted by the thoughts of God. So I'm going to put up on this screen here, 2018, we want it to be the year of the Bible. In our life, my friends, if you choose, in your lives. And here's how we're going to make that happen. Number one, I want to challenge you today to spend time in Scripture daily. Will you consider that possibility? You know, when I get up in the morning, and I did it this morning, six-ish, it's one of the blights of being a pastor. You've got to get up early on a Sunday. Anyway, I'm just kidding. It's dark, it's cold. No, I'm kidding. Everybody else is asleep and I'm not. I'm just kidding, though. I don't mind. <laughs> anyway, I take my phone and I go to the Holy Bible uh, U-version version. Oops, that's not what I wanted to do. And I read... This isn't working at all. I read the verse of the day. Oh, there it is. There we go. And the verse of the day pops up and this morning it says, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. And I thought about coming to be with you today. And I was reminded where two or three hundred gather or four hundred gather in my name, Jesus promises to be here so that the mere words I speak become, I hope, his words to you and he impacts your life by his word and you are changed. And very often before I go to sleep, I'm lying in my bed and it's cozy and, uh, you know, it's great. I'll take that verse and I'll read it again just before I go to sleep. See, it's not that we don't have the Bible. We have the Bible everywhere. More than any generation has ever had the Bible. We even have it on our telephones. We have it on our laptops and we have it on our computers. We have it in books. And we have commentaries and, 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 and so on to help us understand it. The question, my friends, is do we know it? Because we give ourselves with great intentionality to learning it. I want to challenge every person who calls IPC home to this year read the Bible every single day. Number one. Number two, we are going to begin within a matter of weeks what we're calling night school. 
We're going to run. Uh, Carl's going to teach it. Uh, Carl's going to thrive in this environment. I know it. But he's going to teach a 12-week overview of the Old and the New Testaments as a beginning to our Bibles, uh, our, our, our night school. He's going to describe essentially what the Old Testament is and what the New Testament is and give you context for all the biblical books we're going to teach as we go forward so that when 1 John or Matthew or, 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 or Psalms is taught, you'll, you'll know how it fits. And then in the spring, we're going to have a second season of teaching. We're thinking and planning on bringing professors. We've had some of them tentatively agree from neighboring seminaries and colleges come to teach our people the Word of God at a deep level. Carl will continue that, and I'll have a part in it too. You can sign up today in our atrium. Um, no, sorry, sorry. You can sign up today on the app. Hold up your telephone. The app. <laughs> And if you don't have an app, talk to Carl. Talk to someone here on staff. Night school. Number three, the story. We thought long and hard, how do we get our people to get the God story, the beginning to end, the big picture of what God has done and is doing and will do in our world? We thought about a, a uh, Bible reading plan for the whole year where you read a portion of the Bible every day, and by the time you read a portion of the Bible every day, as instructed, you've read the whole Bible. Well, that, we might do that again in another year, I don't know, but I came across this. And I talk to pastors who have done this in their church and say this is the best thing they've ever done in, in terms of a church-wide campaign. And what this book does, and it doesn't give you the whole Bible, it gives you portions of Scripture and then ties them together with the little paragraphs that helps you understand. It gives you the big picture from beginning to end. So likely in September, we're going to start the story. You'll be able to do your devotions on a daily basis from this book. You're going to be able, if you wish, and we would really encourage it, to study this in life groups. Then you're going to come here on a Sunday morning and someone's going to preach to you from that particular component of Scripture as we move through the entire Bible. And this is going to give our people an understanding of the God story and what Scripture really is in terms of big picture understanding. Next thing, life group biblical focus. We're going to work hard so that life groups become places where the scripture is taught and with effectiveness, I'm not saying it isn't already, but where the focus bears down even more on the idea of allowing people who are in our life groups to really dig into scripture. Because that's where most of our people engaged are. Probably most people won't be in the night school. We hope lots come. Lots. But many more people are in life groups, and that is a place which has huge potential for people to study in a direct way this scripture. I'll be working toward that end. Number five, more scripture and worship. Now, we do a lot of scripture and worship, but we're going to do more. <laughs> in those ways, you'll discover as we go. And what we're going to do is go through all of our ministries in the church and say, it, 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 are our ministries enabling people to know Scripture? Because as people know Scripture, they'll know God. And as people know God, they'll know what faithfulness looks like. And they'll avoid the curse and they'll embrace the blessing. And they'll become the people God intends them to be. And then, lastly, right now, media. And guess why we had uh, John and Dade interviewed earlier on. This is a fantastic resource. The Christian Netflix of the world providing incredible opportunities simply to just learn the Bible. You know, sometimes I think historically people say, well, I just, it's hard to know what the Bible, it's hard to understand the Bible. I don't know what it says. I don't know what it means. It's, I want to tell you, we want to make it incredibly simple for you to discover the truth of Scripture and to know it. 
And I want to tell you this as well in terms of daily reading and in terms of a devotional life. It's like riding a bike. Until you start doing it and doing it and doing it, you're never going to learn it. Just jump in. My friends, the end of the day, what I'm here to say to you very simply is um, it is incredibly important for you and for me and for us to know Scripture. It is the intention of God for us to know Scripture and to know it well and to give ourselves to that reality. What we do in an intentional way will determine who we become. And it will determine what, how it is that we faithfully serve the Lord. So today I'm here to ask you, will you make 2018 the year of the Bible? Will you embrace some of the opportunities that have been described and being offered to you to make it simple for you to become a student of Scripture so that you can know it at a deeper level so that it might transform your life? Let's pray. Gracious God, we don't want to be like those people of Judah who literally lost your word for generations and who ended up engaging in idolatry. God, we don't want that. We want to be faithful to you. And Lord, your word is so clear it is when we come to know the Bible, when we come to know this book that has been revealed by your Spirit through numerous authors, and we come to know you and we come to know what your desire is for our lives and we come to know what faithfulness looks like. So God, we pray that as we give ourselves to this task, that you by your Spirit will move and that all of us here, no matter where we're at in our journey of faith, all of us here, will come to a place where this year we are made new, we are transformed, we are deepened in faith and in understanding because we have deepened our knowledge of your word. God, make this happen in us. Work through scripture this year to transform our lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name.